welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman, as usual. He's back in uh, back in the lineup now. Uh, but we have a special guest. His name is Stan Hankins, and obviously Dan and I work with a ministry called Ambassadors for Christ International. Stan Hankins also is an evangelist with Ambassadors for Christ International, and he has been with Ambassadors for Christ longer than even Dan. Yep. Uh, so Dan, uh, Stan, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you know, where you're from, a little bit about your call into ministry, and, and how you ended up with this organization called Ambassadors for Christ. Thank you, Sam, for this introduction and the opportunity <laughs> to be here. I was waiting for you to say, we have with us Dan Rudman, as usual, and Stan Hankins, as unusual, as un- <laughs> which would be appropriate, I suppose, to say. But uh, it is a joy to be with you in any, any platform in which we're furthering the cause of Christ and just yeah. helping engage folk in their walk of life and letting the Holy Spirit do what only He can do is a worthy endeavor. And I celebrate your life and ministry and uh, this part of your ministry. Well, as you introduced me, I have been with Ambassadors for Christ in a full-time capacity, I want to say since 1996. Okay. Before that, as a local pastor, uh, I was involved on a part-time basis, so kind of an adjunct-type relationship. Yeah. So the, the work with the AFC goes clear back to about 87, however many years that is, 35 years, something like that. My math may not be good. I live in the Hawaiian Islands, where I was a local pastor, and when I've started to develop itinerant ministry, which I've been full-time for almost 30 years, uh, traveling around the world and across the country and throughout the islands, um, have been doing that from the Hawaiian Islands' home base. Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't really work against me too much because, for example, Asia is closer than it would be if I were located in Kansas or New Zealand, where I was last month, uh, was not far away. And so... That's what I've done, and I've been involved in a ministry of preaching, teaching, and training, done a lot of pastors' training conferences, teaching in theological schools overseas, uh, preaching in any and every setting possible, both in this country and beyond. Very cool, very cool. So, I mean, that's going to be the topic of this podcast. We want to discuss and, and kind of illuminate to the listener, what is the difference between uh, an itinerant preaching ministry and, let's just say, the local pastorate mm-hmm. preaching ministry. I mean, you've obviously traveled. Do you know how many countries you've been to? I've worked in 36 countries and been in more than that. That's amazing. And some local pastors, they preach their whole life in one church, and they never leave that community. And when I was a local pastor, which I was for 15 years, your focus, as well it should be, yep is in your vineyard. In your vineyard, exactly. Mm-hmm. That that flock, that particular mm-hmm. flock. And so you have a unique experience in that you, you've you experienced both. Yes. You have been the local pastor. You have been the itinerant. Now, I know you've, you've told me that when you first kind of felt the call into ministry, it, it, it was more of a call into the itinerant work, right? In my heart, yes, yeah. but not circumstantially, but yes. Right, exactly. So did you start preaching... Uh, itinerantly and then went into pastoral ministry or pastoral It was the other way around. Um, First of all, I'm just wired to be a proclaimer. And that's what I get up in the morning thinking about and what I go to bed at night thinking about is proclaiming Christ and who else and where else I can do that. And I find that most local pastors don't think that way. They think more about their flock and the needs of those people or the entity, the organization, how they can build and strengthen their ministry, their church, as it were, and so forth, and I respect that. But for me, even though that was my heart call, my heart cry was to be a traveling speaker, as it were, the doors that opened for me, especially in those days when there wasn't as much 
sharing of information and publicity of different creative types of ministry were pastoral doors. Yep. So that's the doors I went through. In other words, if God doesn't give you a real sense of direction and clarity, you go with then the natural open door that was there. And I had opportunities. So as a local pastor, I was faithful with the tasks that I was given. I often say I knew my limitations of my pastoral skills, and so did my congregation or <laughs> congregations, and they knew them very well. But the whole time, I knew I had an evangelist trapped in a pastor's body yeah, at that yeah. time. But we needed to manage that for the glory of God and be faithful. And then finally, after about 15 years, I realized it was time to um, go ahead and explore the wider ministry end of things. I was getting some invitations to speak, and I knew I flourished in that setting yeah. and uh, was kind of in my best place. And I had the blessing of my local church to go ahead and pursue that. And so ultimately, that's what I did. Mm. Very cool. Now, we'll bring you in too, Dan, so you can, you can speak if you want. <laughs> sure. No, I like listening to Stan. I'm good. Yeah. But I want to get down to kind of like the crux of what... Obviously, we, we say that the, the, the local church pastor, the evangelist, were both called to you know, the ministry of the Correct. Word, to be proclaimers of the Word, yeah. uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, yeah. Ephesians 4. So what is, though, if you were to kind of boil it down, what is the difference between the pastor as a proclaimer and the itinerant evangelist as a yeah. proclaimer? My experience has shown me, and again, this is from personal experience as well as biblical understanding and historical yeah. understanding. Let's take it maybe, first of all, starting biblically. I see in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there was this office and or function or gift of this anointed, as it were, or called person who seemed to have a prophetic or a poignant tone to their proclamation, yeah. just something about it that is used in, in a form of exhortation, uh, maybe a teaching gift, some of those kinds of things. And I was just seeing it in the Old Testament again, Jehoshaphat, when he was straightening up the nation of Judah, I believe it was, and um, making reforms. Well, one of the things he did outside of judicial reforms, military reforms, <laughs> spiritual reforms, was he sent out priests and uh, scribes and teachers, actually, mm -hmm. to all the cities and towns of Judah. Hmm. In other words, he recognized we got to get the word out to people. It's got to be taught. So there's Old Testament precedent mm. for traveling speakers, as it were. And in the New Testament, be they Apollos or who, Epaphroditus or whomever, Paul and others, um, there you see those mobile people, which are, of course, mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, I believe it is. And so I see the biblical precedent. And then throughout history, we know of the, Whistle, the Wesleys and the Whitfields and the yeah. Finneys and Billy Graham, et cetera, et cetera, Dwight L. Moody and others. So that's not an unusual usual uh, premise historically. What I experienced as a local pastor was that instead of taking an either-or approach, when I took a both, when we take in the body of Christ a both-and approach of saying, look, this is the body of Christ, and none of us are meant to function autonomously and, and sufficiently on our own. That if we'll blend our different callings and gifts and emphases, then it, it helps complement and, and bring to full fruition what we have to offer in the body of Christ. I found that as a local pastor, of course, I had my responsibilities and my perspective, but I could invite an outside speaker to come into my local church, mm -hmm. and they were able to speak with such objectivity. They could say things that I wasn't quite free to say. They could address concerns in a very poignant and passionate and pointed way mm. that I didn't have that luxury. And 
Then when they would leave town, it was my responsibility to, de- to then take the people and help them work that through in their lives because I knew the realities that they were dealing with. Yeah, what that evangelist had to say about commitment and God is the answer to all your problems sounds great in theory. I understand that you're trying to work two jobs and you got a rebellious kid and you got a mother-in-law that you can't afford to have living somewhere else and she's in your house and we got to figure all this out. So as a pastor, it was my role then to take spiritual goals and issues and matters and help my people work it through in their everyday life in a deeper way. Yep. So I've seen that both as a pastor and then as an evangelist, I see it on the other side. And now part of what I do is work with pastors at their invitation. Mm -hmm. And I have to be very sensitive to their situation, not stir up a bee's nest that (laughs) then them poor guys are left to, to deal with. But if they will recognize the value of what an outside speaker can can serve in whatever context. It may be just a one-off event or a series of meetings or an ongoing discipleship ministry, whatever it is. If they will use us as a resource, which we found in the New Testament, that's what they did. Yeah, uh, There can be some good things come from that. Yeah. Dan, you want to add anything? I mean, you've, you've never been a pastor. You went straight into the work of the evangelist. I mean, from yeah. the first year that you started full-time ministry, what... Yeah. what what were you thinking? Did you ever entertain pastoral ministry? Was it ever something in your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I can't really say it was ever in my mind. I mean, it, it is because people ask you, you know, there were times, yeah. hey, have you ever thought about going to being a pastor? Right. Or would you, you know, we're looking for a pastor. Would, you know, would you consider putting in an application? So I can't say I had, didn't entertain it in that sense. Yeah. But as far as like just the moving, like, hey, this is what I'm called to do. No, uh, I think I've said in other settings uh, maybe we've said it on podcasts. I remember sitting in seminary. So, I, okay, so I, my burden really was just taking the gospel to the world. Mm. I have to be honest. Like, like, what's it mean to get the gospel out to the guys in the streets? Yeah. And maybe that comes a little bit in my background. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I didn't have some church in my background, but I didn't grow up in the church. Okay. I knew Easter and Christmas. And, yep, yep. And had a few little stints here and there as a kid going to church a few times. But, so it wasn't like I, that was foreign, but I, I didn't grow up in a church culture or a Christian home. And so um, when I came to faith in Christ, I'm like, oh, there's these people out there just probably like me and lots of other people, you know, perhaps blue ribbon crowd and outdoor guys and athletes and people that they don't know any of this. They've mm-hmm. never even heard this stuff. Mm-hmm. Never even heard the gospel. I didn't even know what that meant. You couldn't even, I, as much as I'd been around church, I couldn't have explained any of that to you. Yeah. Even going into college. And so... Um, my burden was that. How do you get to these people with the gospel? That's all I ever wanted to do mm-hmm. from day one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, people need to hear this. I want to get to people. And so that leads you down a road, and it's a you know long, winding road that you find. You could say evangelism and apologetics and all these sorts of things, but it was getting to the people. So I never remembered thinking, oh, I want to go be a pastor of a church, because frankly, when I would go to a church, I'd go, what is this? Like, why, why are we in here? I remember early on thinking, why do you do this? Like, I want to go talk to people out there. Yeah. You know, and so even in my early days, and please understand, I'm not, I wasn't antagonistic to the church. That's not, I just didn't understand why do you do this? I know it sounds weird, but like, why do you come in this room and sit here and do this? Yeah. Like, there's a whole world out there. Why don't we go out to there? And that's, that was always my bent. Yeah. And so I was trying to find a way to do that. Yeah. So my first few years in professional, if you could say that, let me say vocational ministry, didn't have seminary degree, didn't have Bible degree, but I was being discipled by some guys with, at the day it would have been called Campus Crusade for Christ, yep. but it wasn't campus. 
it were guys working in a city, and at that time there was a ministry called Here's Life America, Here's Life different areas of the country, and um, they worked, you know, if you will, kind of with businessmen, tradesmen, adult men in the community, mm-hmm. evangelizing and doing discipleship, the fundamental stuff Crusade was known for, kind of its nuts and bolts. But they did it not on a campus but in a community. And I ran into some of these guys, and they began to spend some time with me, and they would, we would go out you know, door-to-door, knocking doors, and talk to people about Christ and some basic fundamental discipleship. And that kind of jazzed me because these people are talking to people about Christ. Mm-hmm. And so one thing led to another, and I ended up by going on staff with Campus Crusade to work with that kind of a ministry. And I learned a lot of fundamentals there. And I would do some training in churches of basic you know, Campus Crusade style evangelism and that sort of thing, and that was all good. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the church. Learned a lot about ministry. But there was one of the remarkable, you know, moments, if you will, is how was went. I so I'd been in ministry in a few years, six, seven years, uh, late twenties, pushing early thirties. You know, young family. I've been developing life now. I'd already worked a career for almost ten years prior to ministry, yeah. and so I'd been out out in the world, the work world. And uh, so I had a chance to go to seminary, and I was in my 30s. And that was really a wonderful experience for me because it was a lot I didn't know, theologically, biblically. I was learning a lot on my own. I'm a learner, and I like to study, but I didn't have anything professional, really, in my life as far as ministry training. Mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short, I I had this one class at seminary, and that was an adjunct professor, and he came in. And I'll never forget the first thing he said the first night. He said, if there's anything I can do is let me talk you out of the pastorate. (laughs) Because he said, Satan, sinners, and saints are all going to be against you, and there's only one thing that will keep you in it, and it's your calling. And I th- kind of almost raised my hand, I'm like, oh, you talked me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember sitting there going, yep, I'm not here to be a pastor. <laughs> and I, so I'm just being serious, like ne- from never from day one. But that then posed a new problem for me. Yeah. Right, and we've talked about that other times, and some of that may end up here today. And I think Stan will share some of his story because he says similar things. I had this problem: like, where do I fit in this, this yeah, system? Yeah. Is it, you know, where do I fit in this world? I, I just want to go out there and talk to people of Christ. Yeah. Now, during those days, I was learning a lot about revival and awakening, and I realized that the outflow of revival and awakening was always a, the, a gospel expansion into the world. So I got intrigued about internal, if you'll say, the church world that experiences revival and awakening. So I started going down that road, and I realized the need for training in churches for evangelism and apologetics and discipleship. And so all that stuff was sort of happening. And then through a whole series of things, I ended up by meeting some AFCI guys. And kind of the, you know, the the focus would be the way it plays itself out would be uh, revival in the church, evangelism through the church, training for the church worldwide. Yeah, yeah. So a real emphasis, like, no, the local church is vital and critical. And I had already come to that at that point. But I still was trying to figure out how I fit in that system. Mm -hmm. And I saw this world of the evangelist. Mm -hmm. I saw it biblically, historically, as Stan was alluding to, like, no, there was this viable, real place. And so what's that look like? Mm-hmm. What do you do? How do you make that work? Yeah, and then you had parachurch ministries like Campus Crusade, which were good. Don't, I'm not belittling that, but that still wasn't quite what I wanted to do. It was a system. You learned to do a system. It was a tool that you help people do, and it had it obviously had, it has had an impact on the world. So I never decry that, but it wasn't like I just wanted to be a guy that carried a particular tool or method either. Right. Right. And so, anyway, I don't know if that's helpful in saying that, but yeah, I. Uh, I, I think pastors are amazing. It's an amazing calling that you would stay with this group of people that doesn't even like you half the time. 
and you shepherd them. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, they're, and then guys that plant churches, I think are just the green berets, you know, I'm just fascinated. And I've done all this church planning training all over the world. I really have, but it's fascinating to me, but like, I don't think I'm gutsy or called enough to be a church planner. Like, you know, I love going and training them about vision and culture and the Bible teaches this. And this is, it's all about evangelism on the front end. That's why I do that. Yep. But I've never planted a church. I think those guys are. So yeah. am I hearing you're like the guy who trains the suicide bomber, but you're not the suicide <laughs> bomber? Is Good that one. what I'm hearing? Yeah, here? that's it, Stan. There you go. <laughs> and I concur. I too have never planted a church. Yeah. So so yeah, I just never. Uh, you know, you can say calling, and there's a certain subjectivity to that. I know that. Yeah. But I found myself in this other world that was like, no, I, I just don't see it. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if that's helpful, but yeah. And with yeah, permission, I'm, go ahead. No, no, I just, I meet lots of people like that. Right. I meet people that are wired like me. Oh, yeah. We were with one at dinner last night, Zach, and he's yeah. going, I just, I don't see the pastor thing. I want to go down on the mall and talk to people about Christ. Yeah. I want to evangelize. And yeah. he's got a, he's a sharp thinker. I, I like to think apologetically. When you taught apologetics at that church, Dan, I just wanted to come there and hear it. And yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. What is that? What do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And so it seems like all the systems are designed, say systems, seminary and Bible schools are designed to push people towards being a pastor. Right. That is generally true. But certainly in the past. And I understand. I, I, again, not throwing rocks against it. I'm just going, but there are guys that like myself that were like, I never saw myself as a pastor. Yeah. And there is a need for beyond just pastoral ministry. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna say something more. Well, I don't want it to be tangential um, at this point, but I'll force it in. How's that? Good, good. And uh, two <laughs> stories that might illustrate. Yeah. One is that um, when I was a local pastor, we had one of my ambassadors for Christ colleagues from another country pass through the Hawaiian Islands. He told me, "Stan, I'm going to be passing through. Can I come visit you? Sure. Can I preach in your church? Sure." And so he did that morning. The next day, I got a call. And then he flew off island and went away. And the next morning I got a call that an 83-year-old widow within my church had fallen and broken her back. Now, she's a recent widow, so I, that Monday morning I go to the hospital, visit her in her hospital bed, sitting right beside of her in her bed, and she's in traction. And she's alert enough, and she says, you know, stand that guy that preached yesterday, you know, that, that you say is in that Ambassadors for Christ thing you're in? And I said, yeah. She said, you know, he is a good preacher, and he says the same stuff you do. But it just didn't really hit home like when you preach. And I looked at her, and I said, well, you know, Evelyn, that's because he's an evangelist. So he's traveling and speaking in all these places. But I said, when he's preparing his message, he may not necessarily be thinking about an 83-year-old widow who just lost her husband, and now she broke her back. Mm. I said, but I, I have to think about that. I yeah. think about you, and I think about the other guy over there, and what he just lost his job, and these guys got uh, rebellious kids, and they're struggling with that. They can't pay their bills. Those things are all on my mind. Mm-hmm. So that's that certainly is one of the stories. And the second story that I would say, or the second principle that I would give is, even though I did not feel a primary calling to pastoral ministry, much like Dan and all of us, I think, yeah. around this yep. table, it was what God gave me to do at the time. And I now look back upon it in retrospect and thank the Lord because when I have the privilege to train pastors, which I've done in many nations around the world, I don't speak in isolated hypothetical theory. Mm. I speak from experience. So I'm training guys out of saying, here's what did not work for me and what did work. 
And, and so I speak a little bit with a more of a hands-on yeah, sense. Sure, sure. And that was not by my choice. Right. But God in his wisdom, I think, allowed me to go through that season of ministry and said, I'm going to be able to use this in ways you don't even know at this time, but it has certainly borne fruit. Yeah. 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 And I would say in our attendant work, this is the a, a uniqueness of AFCI too, is that, and we were sharing it with a young guy last night, like each of us are very individual. Indeed. We have unique ministries. And even as you say that, when I think of my travels, Sam, you've traveled some with me and I say, okay, I go to another culture and I do a conference and yes, there's pastors there, but if you were around me, you'd realize that I'm always pretty much saying the same stuff. I'm very, very much about evangelism, very much about apologetics, very about go plant churches um, there's an exhortation there. There's an encouragement. Certainly, there's spiritual principles, you know, prayer and holiness and other things. But when you talk, Stan, about saying, I'm there to meet with these pastors and do some training, there is some um, uh, rubber meets the road stuff that you get to do that I just haven't even probably experienced or not any experience, but I probably don't even do because I'd say, no, that would be better taught by a guy who was a pastor for 15 probably or 20 so. years. You know what I'm saying? Like, like mm-hmm. I'm kind of a fake for me to be able to do some of that stuff. And I just don't. If you were around me, I'm like, no, that's not my thing. And it's just like, again, if we were, if you and I were working as you're going to be tomorrow in a very secular setting. Yeah. And when you're talking in the area, the realm of apologetics and so forth, obviously all of us do it on a regular basis because we interact with all kinds of people and we're seeking to share Christ. Mm-hmm. But you guys are more adept at it because you do that more regularly, right. consistently mm-hmm. than someone like me. Right. It's my job to get up to speed. And I seek to do that. Mm-hmm. But naturally, if, if I have a setting where that's what's needed, I think I'm going to call your number. Right. Well, it's the same thing. That's what I'm saying. So if I were to invite there's it to Yeah, a, there's no cookie so cutter in, But if exactly. I was invited to a pastor's conference to give right. these pastors some training on being a pastor to the, to the 83-year-old widow, I'd be going, that's not me. Yeah. That's really not me, and I'm not going to pretend it's me. Yeah. Right? Like, exactly. So, so let's try to answer the question, why is the itinerant evangelist necessary mm-hmm. if you were to try to mm-hmm. think about god's wisdom mm-hmm. we really do believe like you know ephesians 4 11 yeah. apostles prophets evangelists shepherd teachers yeah why is why is the evangelist there yeah. in yeah. that list yeah it's easy for me i mean all of it's meant to equip the saints for the works of service right they all kind of have that same purpose the purpose okay. is to help the christians be, become this unified reality presence on the earth the kingdom of god what god wants the body of christ to be Mm-hmm. And it, for me, I simply think of it as there's, and we've talked to this in other places too, um, there is the shepherding. There's yep. the, you could say the internal work of the Great Commission, teaching people to obey everything mm-hmm. I've commanded you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's this expansion, go make disciples. Mm-hmm. And that make disciples is, is really to go proclaim the gospel. And as people trust Christ, they're sealed with the Spirit and they become disciples of Christ. And that's the expansion of the gospel. So to me, there's this expansion of the church mm-hmm. into the world. And then as people are being established, there's the shepherding of those people mm-hmm. in sanctification and growth. And so we need this front edge yeah. expansion. Outward focused. Outward focused yeah. expansion, which is, I think, the work of the evangelist. And I think that's what Ephesians 4 is talking about. And it's this unified reality. It's not two separate entities doing two separate things. It, it is it is God's people, and there's an expansion aspect of it, mm-hmm. outward focus aspect of it, and there's an inward focus of it. Right. And so once, once you reach someone, you got to teach them. Right. right. So I deeply, so in my way of thinking, um, I deeply, that's why I was saying earlier, like I think pastors and church planners are rock stars. Like, like I'm amazed 
that guys would do that sort of thing, and it's so desperate and needed, and I just mm-hmm. I have nothing but honor for that. Mm-hmm. But that's not what I'm called to do, right? right. And so, so, but, but I'm like, oh no, no, you you need to be here. That's why again, let's go back to church planning. The front edge of church planning, if you want to say it that way, is is this taking the gospel to a people mm-hmm. and communicating those people to the mm-hmm. gospel, the gospel. So even apologetics, some people might I've heard people use that term with me. Well, Dan does apologetics. Apologetics, I don't even think of this idea of an apologist. I think of an evangelist. Yeah. And all I'm trying to do is reach people and get get below the smoke screen out of the way and get past their questions so I can get to the gospel. Yeah. And so I'm willing to do some of that. But that's not my goal is to be really articulate and be the walking encyclopedia that knows everything because I don't. But so so but for me it's about getting the gospel to people. So what we're doing, you know, what Stan was alluding to is you'll not you and I'll be on the campus tomorrow. And is that scary? Oh, it can be, yeah. And I really don't want to argue with a bunch of people. I really am not that interested in that. But I am looking for people that want to talk about the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so I'm willing to kind of put my neck out there and go do that. And so the need for the evangelist, when you think of the Ephesians 4, is so coming back. I just came from a conference where I taught in Fiji. There were seven uh, South Pacific nations there. Most of those people were church leaders, pastors. Yep. And I was there as an evangelist yep. talking to them about evangelism. <laughs> And missions and expansion of the kingdom. So mm-hmm. we talk about church planning. This is what Paul did. This is how this worked. And you went with the gospel. And we had days where we talked about what is the gospel message and how do we speak this and how do we communicate it and how do we answer people's questions. Mm-hmm. And so all of that's about, again, the expansion outward focus. Sam, a moment ago you asked the question, you know, what is the rationale maybe for the itinerant evangelist? Yeah. And let's, let's qualify maybe that term. Yeah. I think there is a bit of a distinction, though they are complementary. An evangelist is simply anyone, in a sense, sharing their faith, Mm -hmm. letting it be known, uh, taking the gospel to another person, whether that's one-on-one or whatever. So we'll affirm that, that there are some who are gifted in that area, but I believe every believer is called to share their faith. To do evangelism. To do evangelism. Yep. Right. There may be those who are specifically gifted and or called to do that, and God bless them, let's empower them and, and encourage them. But when, like the type of ministry that I right. do as well as that uh, is a traveling speaking ministry. Yes. So I'm focused more on the proclamation yes. end of things, um, partly because that's just a passion, partly because it's what I recognized as what God has given me to do within the body, that uh, if I'm called to preach, teach, speak, train, prison, breakfast, big crowd, small group... Uh, whatever, whatever, any culture, any language, we make it work (laughs) because that's what God has given me to do. Um, So there's, that's the distinction I'm drawing is between individual evangelism, which is critical and essential, and we affirm it, and those who are in more, shall we say, group format settings. For example, I am working often in Japan, but because of the the religious and cultural context, there's not a whole lot of need for preaching and teaching in Japan because there's no interest. Yeah. So to get those venues, it, they come my way, but they're not easy to find. You better be prepared to have lifestyle evangelism with people in Japan, building mm-hmm. relationship and sorting through different perspectives and worldview and all of that, building common ground to where then you can begin to share the gospel message. Mm-hmm. That's good. So did I answer your question, Sam? No. I think so. Okay. I, I don't even remember what my original well, question was. Well, the differences, some of the differences or the need for the evangelist compared yeah, to the Yeah, yeah, yeah. In God's, in God's wisdom, why, why give yeah, I, I, and again, the church the evangelist? So I hope I answered that. You know, Outward focus expansion yeah. 
that has to happen at the same time of the internal growth yeah. of, of people. Our elder colleague, Narayan Nair, in the South Pacific, where Dan would have just worked with him, he used to say, and I heard this decades upon decades ago, he would also say it in a succinct way. He'd say, you know, the evangelist is one of God's gifts to the church, right. to the body of Christ. Yeah. Right. And it's, a, it's an often unrecognized and unused gift. Mm -hmm. And I would say with any of us, when we don't take advantage of what God avails to us, we pay the price. Mm. So the church, when it doesn't make use of this part of the body of Christ, the gift of the evangelist, they do so at their own peril. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why, that's a, that brings up a great question that I wanted to ask anyway. Why do you think so many Christians, pastors, church leaders, seminaries, why have they f forgotten about the evangelist as a, as a called man? To the church to equip the church for the yeah world. it's a good and, question. And just Great to kind question. of put some more context around this right now i work as the doctoral fellow for the missions professor professor dr joe allen the third at midwestern and he's tasked me with this project actually last year and i'm still working on it he wanted me to go through just about every protestant systematic theology that's been written since the time of the reformation and i have a bibliography of over 60 systematics and he wanted me to go through and comb through all of them and see if they say anything about evangelism or missions. And because evangelist missionary types know that when you read through systematic theologies, there really isn't much on evangelism, missions, and, and outward focus type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so I did that, and yep, indeed, most systematics don't say anything about evangelism, about missions, mm. about outward focused harvest type stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so there really just is this illiteracy on the evangelist, the itinerant preacher, the proclaimer who travels around. Yeah. Uh, so why do you think that is? How did, wow. how did we get That's to that? That's a great question. I'm, to, to first of all, build off of what you just said, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give uh, maybe a flippant answer, but it first of all is that historically, I don't think it has been emphasized. So mm -hmm. the seminaries that come along operate out of that historic context. Yep. So there's not been anything prodding them that way. Now here's where it gets flippant, because that doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> In other words, uh, you get local churches, then there's some funds that can be accrued and so forth, yep. and that that uh, pastoral graduate, as it were, now is able to get a constituency and funnel students back to the seminary and or maybe raise money for the seminary. And it just gives a, a platform and a presence for that seminary to continue to operate. Mm. So the seminary... First of all, it's, they're going to get more return on their investment if they're investing in pastors. Mm. And it, there's a real need for that. Praise God yeah. for it. But here's the, the third part of my answer. One is the historical that you just mentioned. Two is the practical uh, that what's in it from the seminary standpoint. And I don't want to, again, cast aspersions at seminary. But third would be this one, and this is probably my biggest point. I think that the average seminary just doesn't isn't able to get their minds around what the role of an evangelist is, because by definition, it is nebulous. Mm. It's not clearly defined. You can't always point it out and say, this is what it should look like and how it should work itself right. out. Illustration, ambassadors for Christ. Three men sitting at a table were in the same organization, and we've all got distinctly different ministries from one another. Yeah. Well, if you're an institution, how are you going to train somebody for something you can't even how are you gonna market say that? what it is? <laughs> yeah. You know, how, we want to train you to be an evangelist, but it may look like this. It may look like that. It may be something completely off the template. Yeah. So I think that the, the unique 
diversity of it all yeah. uh, makes it tough for the schools to get their minds around, but they don't do a good job of it. Historically with me, they did not do a good job because I tried to yeah. say to them, folks, this is what I feel called to do. And they didn't know what to do with me. Yeah. Yeah. So and that continues and as I understand like it. Oh, yeah. As I understand yeah. it, it's continuing. Yeah. To yeah. And that's my story. Yeah. Yeah. Even when I went to seminary, I went to seminary. It was very kind and gracious to me because they let me, if you will, take a current program, a master uh, program in pastoral studies. Yeah and modify it to evangelistic to an evangelist studies. Yeah. But they didn't have a program for me. Mm-hmm. But they were very willing to kind of help me develop a hybrid and uh, and, it, and it worked for me. It was great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the seminaries aren't set that way. You know, some ways Sam, when you ask that question, um it is something you know, it's something I would like to work on a little bit more study yeah. and come up with more uh, more uh would I say scholarly, accurate explanation of to an answer to that question? Yeah. But I could say, and I, I, it's a little bit anecdotal, and I'm willing to live with that. Meaning, like, it's just some thoughts about it. I certainly think one of the things that we talked in other podcasts too, when we talked about awakening and revival, is that there has been a a, a shift in our Western world, particularly after the you know after the Great Awakenings, even the first and the second, particularly the second that reshaped the idea of revivalist evangelist. Correct. To mm-hmm. which we actually showed in our podcast, you can go back and listen to yeah. Sam's po- Sam and I, you know, I, I was a guest on his podcast, Preach and Persuade, where we talked about the first and second great awakening and all of that. And there was a lot of muddy water there. And we, d- we talked about that. Yeah. And so I can see where people would, s- would say, we don't want some of that to happen. Correct. And so the evangelist... Yeah, we don't want the finny. Yeah, Correct. we don't want the finny. Let's just say it that way. And we don't like that system... And what happened, and if right. that's an evangelist, what we don't want that. Right. And so I could see that again. That's a little more anecdotal. I can't do a perfect study on yep. that, but I could see that. Um, I also could see that if there was a positive view of uh, of the evangelist that isn't necessarily deeply biblical or historically studied, but if you were to ask people, at least in the last thirty or forty or fifty years, they'd see Billy Graham. Yeah. Well. Yeah, he could stand up. You know, he had a stadium and he had thousands of people, and there was a whole system there around that. But not most of us don't do that, right? And and so if that's what it means, well, there's not going to be many of us because mm-hmm. not many of us going to fill a stadium for people. There's not a stadium. You know, there might be a living room that want to come listen to me, but not a stadium. You know, so, I wish. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great to speak to twenty thousand unbelievers. I tell people all the time, I'm like, well, how do you create that? You know, <laughs> call me. I'll speak at your softball field. Just yeah. call me. Yeah, all right, so. So there, there's there's that dynamic that's going on. Yeah. There's a misunderstanding of the work, and there were bad models of it. And then we go to another model that we've talked about, same thing, another podcast, um, is just what we call the parachurch, which I, I want to always qualify because you, we've talked about this. I always believe there was a second track apart from the local church, and Paul ran that second track. Mm. Modalities, sodalities. Yeah, there's this traveling evangelical band. Now, some might say that was apostolic, and after the apostolic age, maybe that shouldn't have continued. I, that's a different, again, we now are into a scholarly discussion. But there definitely was two tracks, and Stan, Stan you were referring to it in the Old Testament. There, there does seem to be these tracks, even in the Jewish world, the Judaistic world, of these, uh, you know, the Judaizers that went out and traveled around, mm-hmm. or, or bands of prophets, yep. separate from the local parish, mm-hmm. the local synagogue, right? Mm-hmm. And so... You would have to go back. You can listen to our podcast. We talked about that. So I'm not, 
opposed to what some people think of parachurch if what you mean is that there's this other structure. Well, and in and, and Roman Catholicism for yeah, the, the medieval mm. ages, it was, it was the orders. monastic orders. Yeah, that's right. So, so I actually think, no, that there's a viable structure there. So I'm not, quote-unquote, anti-parachurch per se in principle. Right. But now how it has been applied... And, and operated, yeah. I have some problems with Correct. that. It has gotten off the rails quite at times often. and away from the local church and not an emphasis on the local church. So AFCI, and not that's accountable what, to the local right, church. That's why right. we say right. revival in the church, evangelism right. through the church, training for the church, All because church. Yeah. we are very local church focused, right. even though we're still itinerants and out there and about. But we believe in this local church Correct. thing. That's why some of us are involved. Like in my case, I've had numerous opportunities to be involved with church planner training because I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I want you to go evangelize community and leave behind a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually believe that mm-hmm. big time. So, so there's that discussion to be had, and so what sometimes happens in the parachurch. And again, I'm not. This isn't throwing rocks at the parachurch, but we've talked about this. But much of the parachurch you think of today, so you think of crew or intervarsity or the, you know those around campuses. But there's other types of parachurches like that. But they tend to be a system, mm-hmm. a methodology, a tool. Yeah. You know, so I mentioned already in this thing, and again, not even opposed to that. If somebody wants to go learn how to do a tool evangelism, go apply it somewhere, go do it. Great. But I still not convinced that that, that is the work of the evangelist. I think right. there's some evangelists that do that. Yeah. Correct. They, so they that they can plug do, into that so they can do well. what they really want to do. Mm-hmm. And that system allows them a system to operate in. Mm-hmm. But that's where again where AFCI was it was such a unique concept. It was like instead of saying here's the methodology that you have to ride with we're going to create a fellowship, a vehicle mm-hmm. for the evangelist to go ahead and go develop your own ministry, Yes, but be part of other men who are developing their own ministries yes. with a financial accountability and, and, and truly some ethical accountability to the degree we can have that. But we really lean on our local churches. We want men to be part of local churches, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. that is their accountability, like anybody in life and business mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say... Though I can't go back all of historic in this, certainly in the last couple hundred years, there's a lot of muddy water around this work of the evangelist, particularly here mm-hmm. in the West. Does Good that make point. sense? So mm-hmm. I can't, you know, I, I, I've always been curious, like, what was, what did it look like more in the discussion, say, in, you know, in the 1200s or 1300s? I'd like to go back and do more of that. Yeah. And once again, that would make it difficult for the, back to the original question, that would make it difficult for the seminaries to empower people to go into those muddy waters as it were yeah, yeah. in the past confusion abuses There's or whatever connotations it may be. around it correct yeah. connotations around it and of course the elmer gantry type guys and the the uh television televangelist yeah. candles, oh, candles well, got through. married to the prosperity gospel correct too. all of that is is in the the mix as the it were that we got to sort through what i have discovered too though as a, as an itinerant speaker where i speak in in various uh, forums that I'm given yeah. is that I've had to see, had to become a very adaptable and light on my feet to find new venues because mm-hmm. the once established preaching meetings that went on for anywhere from four to seven days, those rarely occur nowadays. When they do, let's go for it, but they're rare. So then I'm doing a lot of leadership training for local churches or speaking at events. I know we've used our colleague Wallace Francis very effectively. You folks have through sports ministries and mm-hmm. venues and those kinds of things. Point being that for, the, again, the individual evangelistic efforts can happen organically in whatever form that is. That's wonderful. Keep it going. If we're going to have more public venues or platform venues, 
we are just having to be creative by nature. Yeah. yeah. And I hope we continue to be. Yeah. And I've always kind of described it to people too. We're entrepreneurial in that we're looking for new avenues yep. by which to preach the same word of God that people believe. Yeah, exactly. Like this that we're doing exactly. right now. Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Exactly. That's why we started doing podcasts, right? Yeah. Yep. That's exactly. exactly why. Yep. And, now, and even the thing we call open air, we, we're using a term and people might put something into that. Yeah. But if you were to see what we we're doing, you might say, oh, that's not what I thought of as open air. Right. Correct. As you we're in the open air in the sense that we're being in the public. Yep. And we're trying to talk to anybody we can in the public. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, you know, just saying what, what you and I are working on right now, mm -hmm. Sam. But we have a banner that says, let's dialogue. And we're trying to create open air conversations, really. Mm -hmm. And we may talk an octave louder than just talking to somebody quietly at a coffee shop so other people can listen. But we do. We got a small crowd of people around us and we're interacting with two or three of them, answering their questions. We're trying to, and again, we're looking for people who want to have honest questions, honest conversation. Now, you know, couldn't that turn into an argument? It could, but it's not what we're interested in. Mm -hmm. And so when we say open air, it's a little bit different than settings where you would have stood up and, you know, yelled from a street corner. Right. And there might have been settings that that would work. You know, um, I mean, a lot of this open air stuff started, you know, at least in, again in our West, started after the 60s, 70s. It was the Berkeley movement uh, mm -hmm. in Berkeley. A lot of people don't know that, but it was like this on a campus. You would stand up and you would decry the Vietnam War or whatever the thing yeah. was. Mm -hmm. And it was a common thing to do. Public You'd go down family. there at lunchtime and there would be people standing up giving their lecture, their their preaching thing. Mm -hmm. Well, Christians could jump on that and it was very conducive. Well, right now it doesn't look that way. It looks sort of like when the guy stands up, he's trying to destroy a bunch of people mm -hmm. is what it looks like to people. I'm not saying he's trying to do that. It might not even be his motive. That is the perception often. Yeah. Correct. And so we're trying to avoid that perception Yeah. because we're just trying to get to the true unbeliever and have a good conversation with them. Yeah. Right? I would almost define what you folks are going to do tomorrow, for example, as just marketplace interaction. You're just going yeah. where people are and in a respectful, dialogical manner, engaging. Yeah. And letting, seeing where it goes. Yeah. And and you know that you have an ultimate agenda yeah. that in a respectful and contextual proper way you're willing to take it that way. And if it doesn't, that's okay. You'll be respectful. I mm -hmm. think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What this is something that I hear a question that I get a lot. What what is the difference between the missionary and the evangelist? Hmm. Now we don't have we have a biblical word for the evangelist. You and Galatians, it shows yeah. up three times. Yeah. Ephesians with Philip and Acts, and then Paul throws it out at the very end of this of Second Timothy, Timothy. Do the work of the evangelist. Yep. Yeah. So, but we don't have a we don't necessarily have a biblical word for missionary. Some say oh, some say oh it's the it's the apostle apostle yeah a little a apostle or whatever lowercase apostle or yeah sent, sent ones yeah some say oh it is the evangelist like uh, the evangelist in, in Ephesians four is the missionary now. Well, what do you guys think about that? I'd yeah, be curious to... <laughs> Sam, I'd like to answer that question actually from the story of my own journey. Yes, good, good, good. In that I just felt called to preach the gospel. And again, as a, as a mobile speaker, mm -hmm. that was kind of where my heart, passion was. And it was going to be across the street, and it ended up being across the sea as well. But mm -hmm. I, as I say, then wherever I am, they're going to see the cross. Enough of that. The point is, I didn't have, at early in my ministry a burning passion to go reach the Ubangis in Africa. Mm. I just didn't. Right. I just wanted to preach the gospel to whomever, wherever. And then as the Lord led me along in my journey, my platform, my sphere just kept growing and growing and growing. And as it were, I've become a missionary, but 
almost an accidental missionary or an <laughs> unintentional missionary because the Great Commission is Jerusalem, Judea, well, the Acts 1, 8, Jerusalem, yep. Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Right. It's not either or, it is all inclusive. Mm. And I think, frankly, that the work of an evangelist and a missionary are part of the same continuum. Mm. Um, and it, and it may cross not only geographic barriers, but cultural barriers and social barriers, those kinds of things. So, again, that's my story. And, and again, I just see it almost as a natural evolution. It just grew yeah. into one. Yeah. And I'll affirm that. So would you would you ever call yourself a missionary? I'm a missionary. You know, my wife uses that term about me, among other terms she uses for me. <laughs> and so she tells people that my, my husband's involved in missions. Yeah. yeah. But that's not something I necessarily say about myself because right, you've heard right. my bias. And I just, I'm going wherever the Lord sends me, yeah. which happens to be, strangely enough, Overseas. more often far away, but in, in several countries during a one-year period. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, I don't see myself as a missionary, but I realize that, Functionally, I am. Like when I'm in Japan next month, I'll be in a missions context and I'll be yeah. functioning kind of as a missionary, working alongside a local host who invited me to come. But yeah. uh, I, terminology, I'm not sure is as critical on that, right, in my right. opinion. Yeah, I would say I like, I like your term stand continuum because um, even if you got with in missions agencies, that whole world of missions... It'd be interesting to me if you had, you know, five or ten people sitting here to ask them that would say, that would say, oh, I'm a missionary. I would like to know what their definition is, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. I think it seems to me that it's more of a continuum. So if I were to see, so I've taught like perspectives. I've taught at some yep. of the perspectives things. If yep. you're familiar with that, it teaches a lot on missions, yep. right? And so I just did this conference on evangelism and missions. And so mm-hmm. I think that through. And so some wouldn't necessarily agree with me, and I realize that, but in the sense of a continuum, I would want to emphasize in that continuum that that like historic classic missions would be the planning of churches. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would say take the gospel to a new people, mm-hmm. and the goal is to leave behind an indigenous true mm-hmm. church yep. community of believers mm-hmm. in the for the with those people, their culture, their way. Yeah, now where where right? So where Correct. the where the evangelist fits in is. Kind of the exhortation to go, guys, we need to get the gospel to new people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? And here's what Paul was doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's why when I say I go talk about that stuff, that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing the work of the evangelist to encourage people to think about that, mm-hmm. as well as here's some skill sets on evangelism. But um, going further then, though, I could see that in, the, in that continuum, that's why I like that word, is that to get the gospel to new people... It does take some people who are willing to go to the early open ground. Pioneers. Yeah, pioneers sense. and kind of build bridges to those people. Correct. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some of those bridges take a long time. Yeah. And yep. I appreciate that. And, yeah. and they aren't, so I'm here today to drop the gospel and leave. No. Because I can't. But I'm here to build friendships and bridges to these people so I can bring, the, so the gospel correct. can get here. Yeah. Right? Correct. And so that would be part of that continuum. And there's a fair, honest I wouldn't want to draw a line and go, oh, you're not doing the work. Right. But I would That's say right. the, end, the end goal is to leave behind a church. A church, yeah. which is, to again, disciples of Christ. Yeah. Which a disciple is one who's been converted, who's been regenerated by God yes. through a gospel call, and they've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And then you leave behind this group, this community, and, you know, Paul left, you know, fundamental ordinance or sacraments, however you want to think of that, and 
just a handful of things. Of course, they had the Holy Spirit, they had the gospel, and, and some leaders and elders, and he moved on. And yeah. then that, that, as it were, indigenous or local functioning body yeah. of disciples will then reproduce yeah. mm-hmm. right. and have a vision not only for their own, but for others. For yep. example, I think about yeah, when Paul natural. went to Philippi and he said, I'm going on to Thessalonica and Philippi goes, we're going to send you some money. We want to send you more than once some gift because even though you did a great thing here, we're not keeping you to right. ourselves. Well, he did the same thing with Thessalonians. He yeah. said, you like those books, but that was all about, they, they had become an imitation of him. Yeah. In all of Macedonia, which mm-hmm. meant that they were doing the same he says, thing. Says the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. It went forth from you exactly, mm. and so um, it's great stuff. I think continuum is a good word, mm. and then so when you think evangelist, it's just like one narrow slice of this, probably. Yeah, yep. you know, and within say, this the is body, my slice. here we are. Yeah. We're all in this thing together. Yeah, yeah. This is my slice, and and again, I'm yep. not trying to compare myself to other people or anybody else. I'm like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. slice, mm-hmm. my my mm-hmm. little my little. You know, stake that I'm supposed to take. Think care about of it again. For. When a football team scores a touchdown, it's when everybody in that continuum of the team yeah, right. does their job. Yeah, we score a touchdown. Yeah, yeah and there's if, a lot to that, isn't there? If one stops, if one uh, guard in yeah. the offensive line yeah. decides, I'm going to take this play off. Well, guess what? We're getting sacked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's the fair thing, right? To be and mature, everybody could have ran the routes to, perfect and yeah. everything. <laughs> to mature and recognize that because even that, when you say a football team, it fascinates me. Like. There had to be the guy that never really even got in on a play, but he was there in practice all week helping the guy that gets in on yep. the play to mm. gain the skill set. Mm. I remember that in high school thinking, why are you guys here? You get your heads beat in and you never get to play. <laughs> and you come here to practice every day. I couldn't do that. Like, I, you know, yeah. I mean, you guys are the same thing. I felt you guys are more gutsy than me. At least I get to play and mm. get my name in the paper. Yeah. <laughs> you, you guys are never heard of. I mean, I, well, who would want to do that, you know? But, but seriously, you know, you think of managers, you think of people bringing out water. I mean, you think of the whole, again, the continuum. Think of that whole team. Yeah. And so when you think of these people going into missions, there are people that are playing all sorts of different roles. Yeah. But I would say, like, if you were to think within that continuum, there probably are people mm-hmm. who would say, I'm a missionary, that might more fall into a category of an evangelist. Mm-hmm. Or even a pastor. Yeah, or mm-hmm. even a pastor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, they're, but they're in this continuum yeah. role of being in missions or a missionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See what I'm saying? So I think oh, yeah. there's a lot of roles there. So much. It's very diverse under the category yeah, yeah, of missionary. Same thing. Same yeah. thing. So, yeah, and I think of, I mean, when I think of missionary, I think of, yeah, our... When the modern missionary movement, you know, blew up with William Carey. Yeah, right. That's um, what I'm thinking. And, and we and typically think of the guy sitting in a village somewhere, yeah. teaching in a hut, and and an Aaron Judson types. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely legitimate. Yep. but it's not exclusive to that. Right. Exactly. So, no, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I'd like to hear more, st- just kind of stories from you, Stan. I mean, you've been to all these different countries. What? <laughs> This is this is for all of us. Then again, this question uh, we'll get asked. I'll get asked. I'm sure you guys have gotten asked a lot. What what do you do? I've I've I've, I've been asked a lot. What does a week look like for you? <laughs> <laughs> Stan's laughing. I'm laughing. Yeah, like, I know. It's like oh, <laughs> you know you what? Know, can I, tell you, I want to tell you one thing. Like, you, you, when you were talking earlier, Stan, I thought about this, <laughs> and I think it's just the brilliance. Um, the, the, the genius, the magnitude, whatever you want to say, the worship of, of, of our living God who's true and real. And he's the perfect unity and diversity. And, you know, uh, I live out here in the country outside of, you know, Lawrence, Kansas. My wife, you know, together we have this little hobby flower farm. It's a little more than a hobby. She's actually turning it into a business. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Stan and I are walking around the 
this morning, and the diversity out here is is beyond imagination. Mm-hmm. There's no two flowers that look the same, right? Mm-hmm. Even if they're the same species, right? If you mm-hmm. It's just fascinating, right? Well, we're dealing with the same thing here. Mm-hmm. God is that big with it. He only makes originals. Every mm-hmm. one of us are unique, right? Mm-hmm. So given that, we're trying to find a common stripe that we all fall into. But and and I guess where I'm trying to go with that is one of the things I find amongst us guys that kind of say at the end of the day, after we work through it, our callings and our winding roads, we go, you know, I think I'm an evangelist. I'm going to what you were doing, what we were just laughing at. I noticed all of us are, are kind of guys that can kind of operate on the fly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well like, like, I'm not a routine guy. If you get around me, like, there's some general routines and patterns in my life. We all have those. But I am not a nine-to-five dude. Like, I love to work. I could go from sunup to sundown. Yeah. Um, you could drop me in the middle of a situation on a street, and I'm going to strike up a conversation with somebody. Mm-hmm. It's just the – and I actually find that – Fun. You said, what did you say yesterday? You like actually kind of being under the gun and having to come up with an answer on the fly. Isn't that what yeah, you were telling me? I you said, said that, like, yeah. like you actually get jazzed by that. I, yeah, I get really right? jazzed by it. It doesn't mean you, there isn't some fear there, but some people would be absolutely, totally paralyzed. Yeah. And I'm not going to put my wiring and say they're supposed to look like me, right? Yeah. But I've noticed all of us, Stan, like you said, like you have to go into all these diverse situations mm-hmm. and how often we get there. Like when I just got back from Fiji, I went there and they said, "Okay, you're gonna you're gonna speak one day time a day at this conference. We may have some other stuff for you, but generally plan one, maybe two times, maybe a question and answer at this conference every day for five days." Yeah. Okay. So, five six times they had planned for me. I get there, I preach fifteen times. Yeah. <laughs> in six days, because all of a sudden I'm there and I'm Hard preaching, the and all of a sudden they're going, "Well, you know," and I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't know what all that means. Maybe. They got more creative while I was there, or they heard me and go, oh, he would work in this. I don't know how that works, but it happens everywhere I go. Yeah. And, oh, can you go do this tonight? Could you do this? Could you could you preach here, over here? I'm like, oh, yeah. And they're like, are we, are we giving you too much? I'm like, oh, no. I spent a lot of money and stuff to come here. Pile it on me. Yeah. I love this. <laughs> He's I'm hitting being, the like, nail on the head. I know he is. And, yeah, and right we're there. all wired that way. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, no, I'll come up with something on the fly. Yeah. No, yeah. I got stuff stirring in my heart that I've been studying. Like, oh, no, I'm ready, man. Let's go. Yes. <laughs> Let's yes. make that thing happen. And so it's just funny. Yes. And I realize that, that would that would paralyze a whole lot of people. Yeah. Yes. And so I'm just saying, I think it's part of the diverse wiring of God, even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find myself in this world like a duck laying in the ponds, as I always say. I'm just kind of doing what I was wired to do. Mm-hmm. And then you get in a room with a bunch of us and I'm like, we're all kind of like that. And that's why it's really hard to describe what we do. Yeah. Very difficult to describe. Yeah. It. yeah. 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 So, so I don't want to well, sidetrack. Go tell you. I, have a lot yeah, of, yeah, I try to do you have a lot of these thing of describing fast, fast I, I will affirm that that's exactly what you say. I had a, a smart mouth comment to when people say, well, just what it is you do, you do. That's usually asked after I've spoken. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I say that's really not the best timing for that question. So, you, know, you know how I usually answer I said, I eat and sleep a lot. Yeah. <laughs> But in my case, I get all kinds of diversity. For example, I was just in the kingdom of Tonga, which is a South Pacific Island nation. And we started off to do some radio ministry. And then he kept tacking on. There's going to be all these uh, discipleship groups. I was supposed to speak to schools, which I've done there in the past, which would have been large school assemblies. Mm -hmm. And this time that didn't happen. But then I preached in a local church. And then he pulled a bunch of young adults together. And so we did something on the fly. It just illustrates what Dan is so well saying. Um, we have to be adaptable and flexible and yet consistent in offering a Christ-centered, uh, significant 
ministry, whatever that is, mm-hmm. in whatever venue it may be. And uh, if you can't handle that kind of adaptability and flexibility, right. you're probably in the wrong barn. Now, example, um, I preached in a local church, regular Sunday morning, uh, typical worship service, just Sunday before I came here. Uh, I'll go back home and I'll be in an, another church in Hawaii and we'll be a part of that, kind of the same thing. But when I go to Japan uh, in October, in late September and early October, I've got a couple of weeks where I'm going to be preaching and teaching and then working in some other churches and then maybe training pastors. But here's the, the clincher. <laughs> I got a great contact and a young man that is amazing that I work with in Japan. He's Japanese. And uh, they're starting a Christian school. Okay. And he says, I want you to uh, work with the teachers of the Christian school and give them some leadership training and workshop. Okay, we can do that. Done a bunch of that. And then he says, oh, and also you're going to speak to the kids every day in chapel. Okay, that's not my real thing. I've done children's ministry. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be doing children's ministry as well. <laughs> and then he, he's Dude, that's my, the thing that scares me. Yeah, well, People scares, laugh at me. I'm like, oh, no. I'll, it scares I'll, me too. I'd rather go to the jail and deal with yeah, yeah, yeah. prisoners than I would with yeah, kids. junior See, high kids. Yeah. No it's, way. Yeah. It's it's out of my realm. And then he says, and then get this. Yeah. He says, oh yeah, because you're from Hawaii. Bring your ukulele, or you'd pronounce it here, ukulele. Yeah. But he says, bring your ukulele and uh, teach them how to play ukulele. And we're gonna buy ukuleles and have them ready to go. And you teach them, and we're gonna. So I'm gonna be singing in Hawaiian, English, and then we're gonna be translating into Japanese, and so forth. Well, what's the point of all of that? It is that basically in my case at least, and I think in all of us, Mm -hmm. we just go to whatever venue we're asked to go and perform whatever they ask us to do Mm -hmm. with clearly a Christ-centered, hopefully biblical, authentic, relevant, uh, well-presented, as best we know how, Mm -hmm. uh, presentation, whatever that may be. So when folks have asked me over the years, okay, you go to all these countries and you speak and all that, how do you explain it? I say, you know, let me make it simple. I go where I'm asked and I do what I'm told. And that's kind of it. I, I never go somewhere without an invitation. Yeah. And then they tell me what they want me to do, and, and I do it. Mm-hmm. And as you say, Dan, quite well. Usually that changes once you get on site. Oh, and they man. just start going, how about you do this? How about you do that? And yeah. okay, okay, and okay. Because yep. like I think all of us are wired the same in that give us the more opportunities to tell people about Jesus, the better. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We're not we're not going there to say how little can I do, but how much exactly, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you're not wired that way, you don't need to be in this. Ministry. That's what I mean. And, I, and again, I I would say that's the diversity of God. He puts it in a package, and there's a certain guy we meet that's like, oh, you're wired like that. I get yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And they lo- and they thrive on it. And mm-hmm. I find many local pastors just they kind of look at our type, yeah, mm-hmm. and they just shake their heads saying, "Man, I I don't know what makes you guys tick." Right. And we look at them and say. I don't know how you do it. You're well, worried guess, about the women's group and the, your yeah, building. Yeah. You need a new air conditioner and you got a sermon on Sunday. You got a council. You got a wedding. We go, I don't know how you do it. Well, yeah. praise God. Yeah. We're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said to people like, yeah, I mean, it looks different week to week. But, you know, when I get an invitation to speak somewhere, that kind of takes the priority of prepping for that or doing whatever that is that they've asked me to do. Yeah. Otherwise, like, you know, I get this from you, Dan, this reality of guardrails in a week or in a ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're an itinerant type guy, a very entrepreneurial where it's not a pastor where you got, you know, you got the same things basically every week. If you're a pastor. If you're a pastor. Yeah. 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 So for us, it's, it's not necessarily that. And so I, I like the idea of having those 
certain things, if you have more of a local ministry yeah. and you're not traveling all the, all the time, like you are more Stan, mm-hmm. to have things that are consistent. Yeah. Well, like, well, yeah, for me, yeah. And that would be stuff we've talked about before, too. I kind of think of, of my work, um, I call it translocal. Yeah. So I have a re- I try to have a local presence. Yep. So it, you, when you say Gary Rose, there's things I do during the week in the local community that are kind of regular. Yep. And with consistent yeah. constituency. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. 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 I've got a group of guys that I meet with regularly and do teach them the Bible. You know, it's kind of a discipleship Bible study in a warehouse. Yep. And I, I'm there every week. I yep. do that every week. And then for 20 years prior to COVID, I was in the jail every week. Yep. You know, certain night of the week. And then I would take guys. Part of that was mentoring the other guys, and but it was always very evangelistic. But every week. And anyway, these kinds of things during the week in a local setting that I would do, and I have done over the years. And sometimes a little, some of that's a little more uh, in rhythm of season. It might be a six-week thing or an eight-week thing, but it's a local thing. And then from that environment, I'm invited to go preach and teach in different places. You know, the real extreme would be another country, yep. another culture. Uh, a lot of times it was more, you know, another campus in another state or yep. a church in another state or even locally a, a something on a campus or state. And so I would go preach and teach out of there. But during the week, I would try to have this quasi-routine, mm-hmm. you know, of, yeah, my weeks kind of look like this. Dan, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you a question. If I may play the part of Sam Parada, I wish I could do that <laughs> Michigan accent. Oh, Minnesota, don't you know? All right, but let's go to the doctor. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he does say that, doctor. Um, Dan, if, and because... And There may be a reason I'm asking this question, is that if you have a, as it were, trans-local presence, which I like, meaning you're consistently ministering to people Uh in this area, but you're not, as it were, a pastor. So you may have people who are part of no church or a number of churches. Do you find or have you found that local pastors here might tend to view you as a threat Huh. Uh, that they are uh, suspicious of you? Are you trying to steal my sheep <laughs> or not? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I can't speak for everybody out there that I haven't talked to like that, but I would like to think not because um, I hope even in this discussion, um, I highly esteem the local pastor. Right. I have a high view of that, and I never want to create any kind of conflict for that. And so um, um, I'm very careful about uh, fundraising in the middle of all that. I think that's always an issue. I'm very cautious about that, and I, and I try to honor uh, the local pastor as this is where you're at. So, so to give you examples of what I've tried to do in that, you're asking me to, to say, I mean, I'm sure that's happened, and maybe somebody has, but so, for example, I've been asked, people have asked me, will you marry me? Mm, not, not me marry me. Yeah. Yeah, I have all these women lined up <laughs> asking me to marry No, you know what I mean. Like, well, I, I'll, I'll officiate a wedding. Officiate a wedding. <laughs> Sam might have been one of those. Yeah, anyway. yeah, I'm like, yeah. Okay, you guys. Okay, I said it wrong, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I, I won't do it. I see. I'm Again, like, no. out of deference to the local. You go to local pastor. Baptisms. You're right. I've only done a couple baptisms my whole life, 35 years of ministry. I don't baptize people. Yeah, like Paul. I don't, I don't do it. Oh, a nope. couple guys. <laughs> I can't remember very well. Yeah, my record keeping. Uh, there might be one or two, but I literally probably count on one hand or two hands of people I've baptized. My, I just don't do it. I'm like, yeah. no, I want you to be connected to your local. Right. So I do that on purpose. Mm. I literally try to, I try to do that on purpose to wisely. try to say, no, that's not my position. The other thing is, is a lot of the stuff, again, I, I mentioned it earlier, but think about what I'm saying. Like, I may gather a group of guys. I'm going to have a group of guys here this fall. But generally... Most of those settings are like, okay, we're going to meet for two months, eight weeks. We're going to go through this biblical masculinity stuff. 
I don't do it forever. I don't, I don't build my own brand brand program. or you're around me yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm here to give I'm you your this perpetual th- leader. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm here to give you something for a period of time, this, this mm-hmm. thing, but I'm not here forever mm-hmm. and I don't want to be. And mm-hmm. so I do all that on purpose. And so another one that I've been careful about, we changed a few years ago, but for most of my ministry, I've never done a, um, and it's gotten more difficult in our culture and that I have a, a whole discussion about this, but the idea of a community Bible study. Okay, there were groups that would do a community Bible study. You know, you had Bible study fellowship. And all these people from different churches come. And I think Bible study fellowship was an amazing program, except for I began to caution people probably six, seven, eight years ago. I could see this coming down the road. I was like, there's this huge um, divergence with liberalism and all this stuff we think of wokeism now and all this stuff that's happened. I saw a bunch of that coming. And I'm going, how are you going to be able to sit in a room with people from all these different walks of life when some of these things are going to get raised up and they're going to be a lot more harsh than you think? Like one church is going to think we should you know, ordain homosexuals, one's not. How do you put you in the same room and say you're studying the same Bible? And I saw that coming and go, this is, these things are going to get a big, be a big deal. I don't know how you could do that mm-hmm. without lowering the bar. Mm-hmm. And so that was happening. Plus, to your, your questions, Stan, as I've worked locally, I didn't want to create any competition. So I was a big believer that if you wanted to be in Bible study, you and your church, say a group of men wanted to have a Bible study, I think your church should have a Bible study for a group of men. It's, it's within your theological tradition. It's within your authority. It's within your system. Um, I changed it a few years ago, not dramatically in that, but just I began to do like this warehouse Bible study. You know, you could call it a community Bible study. It's not a big deal. But, I mean, guys come from different, some of them had come from different walks of churches. But the reason we started doing that is we began to realize that these guys were in churches, at least in our community, that we didn't have Bible study for them. And I began to realize these guys want to study. Mm-hmm. They want to get together, but their churches don't even do it, and they're not teaching them how to study the Bible. They're not teaching them theology. And so I, I kind of gave in and said, I'm just going to go, since, since it's not a competition with anybody, nobody else is even doing this, let's go ahead and create a Bible study and anybody from any church can come to this if they want to. But all of that was very, I've, I've been very cautious of trying to, mm-hmm. to your point. Now, given all that, could I still be a threat? Well, probably. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm not. I do too, but I wouldn't be surprised if behind the scenes you might be. Yep, to, to, some, some. to somebody. Because I have found some pastors um, who don't know me very well. Right. But if they interface with me, they somewhat seem to have a resistant or reticent encounter with me. And I don't know where that's coming from. But once I sense it, I back off to give them as much space as they need. Because it's not my role to be a threat to a local pastor. Right. Um, Mm And not my role to crowd their scene at all. Right. I have to, like you, Dan, I, want, I just want to be respectful of yeah. their, yeah. their uh, sphere of ministry, and we're not there to be disruptive in any way, shape, yeah. or form, but to be respectful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So being a guest is a big issue. Being invited is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of things to that. Um, you know, the, the whole historic kind of, I say historic, last couple hundred years or since Second Great Awakening, this idea of an altar call thing. I don't mm-hmm. do those things. Mm-hmm. If I go to a church and I preach, I always tell the pastor. Right. A lot of times the pastor's there when I'm preaching. Yeah, yeah. You and will say, close the meeting. Oh, will you close mm-hmm. it? Will you come up? I want you to close this mm-hmm. any way you want to close right. it. Right. And if your tradition is an altar call, that's his business. So yeah. That's right. I'm fine with that. That's right. But like, that's your thing. I, I don't want to be the guy that people are responding I to. I concur. And yeah. so I do that a lot. I hand it off. And I particularly do that when it's multicultural. Mm. If I'm in another culture, I make sure that the local pastor 
contact or the local leader. It may not be a yeah. pastor, but whoever it is, that they set the tone for everything, beginning and end. Yeah, right, right. So I'm here to bring a message to you, but I want this is your thing. These are your people. You. Yeah. So I really try. I try to emphasize it. So I, I mean, I believe it obviously, and I'm trying to convince them. I actually believe that you're the, you're the guy. You're the guy that's paid the price. I'm not here to disrupt anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. Got a story to illustrate when I knew my limitations. Years ago, I'd been asked to go to Egypt to work with Sudanese refugees. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we did a variety of things. And one of the slice of that was a three-day workshop, whatever, on uh, with marriage and family. Mm. And oh, by the way, uh, these people practice polygamy. <laughs> Dan and I have a story. Okay. We Sam, Sam and I ran into this. Okay, you ran into Okay, <laughs> well, I did too. So Pastors think, who had more than one wife. Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing my <laughs> thing, like, and I'm, t- I'm thinking, okay, as I prepare here, all I'm going to do is say, here's what Scripture teaches about these things. <laughs> that's exactly and that's I told my, Okay, this is classic. Because yeah, I said did. to my local host, I said, now listen, after I'm done presenting, if anybody wants to engage in dialogue and ask questions, that's on you because I don't have <laughs> this the freedom. Is exactly what Sam and I did. I said you I don't have the freedom to, to speak out. into their culture and into their worldview situation. Yeah. I don't know it well enough. I will present, and I'm frankly, I'm, I'm copping out here, but I'm. Right. And so when they came and asked some tough questions, I just pointed and said, "Ask him." <laughs> <laughs> we were pretty close. We okay. said, "Okay, here's what we know the Bible teaches." Yeah, well, it was a Q and A, and yep. all of a sudden, we, in a sense, got blindsided a little bit. All of a sudden, all these guys are coming up, yeah, asking this question. Like many asked the yeah. same question. We got people polygamous like, questions. Polygamous <laughs> questions, especially the pastor, the local pastor. <laughs> was married. His wife kind of left him with a baby. Went back to another African country, and so then he comes up to Cairo. He gets a new wife because the other wife had left him. But yeah. officially, she had yeah. a divorce or something. Now yeah. the, this other wife with the baby that went, left is coming back, and so now he's up in he's up in Egypt and he's going to have two wives. And they're like, "What do we do with this?" No, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Stop me. <laughs> so here's what we know biblically, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we kind of just left it at that. Yeah, here's what we know biblically. Like, you know, and so, uh, you know, even that second, yeah, I mean, but we don't need to answer it here. But, like, we tried to be very biblical. Here's what the scriptures are clear on. And what how you actually apply that, Yeah, that'll be very interesting. Mm-hmm. Because, I was just yeah. working with a radio ministry in another country and that they've been there for 30 years. And because they're not affiliated with any particular church in that area, they don't have, as it were, a doctrinal slant or a procedural slant. And the founder trained the radio staff wisely so. He said, just stay with what the Word says and be clear where the Bible is clear. Where the Bible is not clear, don't be as dogmatic. Just stay in the Word. And now I'm here to tell you, because I was on the radio with them just two weeks ago, uh, one of the reasons they're still there after 30 years is that they know that the, the, the local churches in the area know that they're not any doctrinal axe to grind other than essential Christian truth. Mm. And that has then therefore given them a platform cross-denominational, yeah. cross-Christian community. And whatever your particular emphasis is, you'll have to work that out in your local context. Mm. I think that's pretty sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty tough. Yeah, we had the same thing. And uh, I don't know if you remember <laughs> saying interesting. Well, yeah, we had the same thing with all the um, uh, people coming to faith in Christ uh, that were Muslims. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And they had a couple of wives and 10 kids. That's and, the, yeah. yes. And what are they going to do? And some of them feel like they need to be a pastor and evangelist in their community now uh-huh. as a Christian. And it was very interesting. And they had this tight 
crazy dynamic in their life. What mm-hmm. are they going to do? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there, I, mean, I think there's some principle there. We could, it could be a discussion, and we're not going to solve it today. Yeah, yeah. Like, another, but another but these are things, things are real. Yeah, so <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I'm curious, Stan. I mean, you've you've ministered in many different cultural contexts. And obviously you've... Including my own family. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm married cross-culturally. Yes, yes, exactly. So, I mean, when you when you get invited to do something in the States... Yes, on the mainland, as we the, would call it. Yeah, yeah. yep. Versus, you got to remember, he's from Indiana. I know, yeah. So anything he goes beyond his little community is cross-cultural. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody who believes Purdue is a good good school and a good basketball team... Is one of the team. chosen ones, yeah. yes. <laughs> of course. They've seen the light. Anyway, um, All right. let's see here. What was I going to say now? I don't know. He got <laughs> carried away. Yeah, I got to I got to reel it back here. Uh, um, well, okay. There's a stat. I can't remember. I can't remember the stat now. But it was it was a little bit shocking. It was either fifty percent or seventy percent, or maybe it was somewhere in between fifty or hundred <laughs> percent in the U.S. Yeah. Okay. People don't adults do not even have a passport. So there's just this reality that most people in the United States, and yes. we can assume most Christians in the United States, they just really even haven't even been in a different culture. That is correct. Uh, and and you, by God's grace, have been able to experience many different yes. cultures. And it is totally of God's doing. And and Christians in all these different cultures. Yes. Is there? Do you see any obvious differences among Christians in different cultures? Cultures, and obviously there's some great, hopefully huge similarities, but what does that look like? That's a loaded question. Yeah, very loaded. That I, that I will choose to am- answer from the starting point and then broad, broaden out just a little bit, but I, there's not time to go into all right, the specifics. Right. But I would say this. One of the things that I discovered in the years of with a, a increasing exposure to Christians around the world is that when people come from different races and different places, different worldviews, different expressions mm-hmm. of the Christian faith, this essence of Jesus has somehow touched me and changed me and brought a joy and a peace and new life to me is universal. Yes, It's amazing. I can be with people who their understanding of the world, their expression of relationships and emotion and, and, and all of those things may be significantly different because of their cultural style. Yep, yep. Still, they describe that, that personal encounter with Christ, that transformation, that love mm. for their Savior, basically the same way. It's been yeah. a great encouragement to me yeah. to realize that. But then to go from that unified starting point yeah. to the diversity is, yes, I have noticed that again, from worldview standpoint, I'm with some cultures that are very gregarious and outgoing. Yeah. And uh, so their faith is gregarious and outgoing and expressed that way. I'm with other cultures where they are very quiet and staid and traditional or demure. Well, they express, they understand and express the faith that way. Hmm. I'm with some cultures that are uh, individ- in the West, in the U.S. here, um, you know, a young person growing up in Kansas or where I grew up in Indiana or in California or wherever is taught, come on, stand out from the crowd, make your mark, be somebody. In other cultures around the world, they're taught the nail that stands the highest gets beat down. Do not, under any conditions, divert from the group. Mm. Make sure you defer that our decisions are made by you honoring your elders. You're Mm. part of this bigger picture and so forth. I see all of the the gospel working itself out in all of those various contexts. Yeah. 
And I guess a couple of things are appropriate to say in that way. One, isn't it wonderful that this reality of Jesus and his transforming love can still work this renewing work, transforming work in different cultural understandings and expressions, and it still can get it done. Yep. Secondly, isn't it wonderful that once you come to Christ, you're still free to express it in terms that are indigenous to you. Mm. And you don't have to be, if you're from a tribal context in Africa, you don't have to be like someone in New York City. Yeah, I mean, I would have a her- terrible time if I had to play a ukulele and sing horn. <laughs> <laughs> and we would have an even worse time if you did. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's just fascinating, though, to see. You're yeah. right, though, the difference. I mean, for, I can give a couple examples. I w- when I was in uh, Tanzania, or Zamb- Zambia, I think it was, we're worshiping with uh, the folks, and uh, they start beating on logs, and they start dancing, and that's yep. the way we're going to worship. When I'm in India, the people sit like statues, and they do not, you have no concept of are we resonating with these people or not, because their culture is to be very staid and traditional. Mm. Um, When you're with Cook Islanders, they're just having a ball, and I told them once they were all hugging together at the end of a meeting where we had done some things, and they just are crying and hugging on one another. I said, when the rapture happens, I'll spot you Cook Islanders, because you will go up in clumps, (laughs) because you're always hugging on one another. And hey, you know, it's, uh, it's just fascinating to see. But again, isn't it wonderful that Jesus meets us, yeah. who we are, how we are, and then helps us express that in the way that is natural to us, yeah. that is still transformative and universal, but it's got its own unique flavor. And it is that diversity that will be gathered around the throne. Yeah. Let the nations be glad. Yeah. Amen. Got any stories, Dan? I know you like to talk about the hundred. What is a hundred forty-year-old guy that you met in Ethiopia? Oh yeah, yeah, that was fascinating. Yeah, it was Ethiopia. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Gosh, I wish I could remember all the numbers now, but I think he started his ministry in like nineteen twenty or something. <laughs> it was like what? <laughs> what? And then I started calculating, and he was like one hundred three or one hundred four years old, and he's literally dancing up and out in the aisles. There you go. He was dancing and singing. They brought him down from the mountains, and then they introduced me to him, and I've got him on video talking to him. And he was like, when did you start your ministry? And he was like, I think it was 1920, started his ministry. And then I was there, and I was like, what? And I started figuring it out. Like, how old were you? And started calculating. It was either 1920 or 1930. 1930. It would have been 1930. Yeah. Because I met him like in uh, like five or six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like 103. And he's dancing around, and he had a Bible. It was a fascinating Bible in a little brown paper bag. And he went, you know, can I see your Bible? And he pulls it out of this brown paper bag very carefully. He just wanted me to be very, very careful with it. And it was, he was real nervous about it. But it was fun to, you realize, here's a guy from the mountains of Ethiopia, believed the same, had this, my same faith, it. singing songs, and just yep. kind of, you, you know, there I'm teaching. He knows what I'm teaching. And it was just, it was fascinating to go, wow. Humbling, isn't it? Oh, yeah. my. Just like... How can a guy from a completely different walk knows nothing about the food I eat, this table I sit at, this equipment, knows nothing about any of that. Correct. And yet knows exactly what I know. Carrying Correct. around the Bible. Yes, worshiping says, the same Lord. And yeah, weren't you saying this, this morning we were with we were with another, another good friend of mine, um, Alan, you were saying something. You went, What was the tribe you were with? Alan the Maasai, and he had been there as well yeah. in Kenya. Yeah, you're in the middle yeah. of this tribe. In the They're the of ones Africa. that jump. And of course, me being a Purdue Boilermaker, I'm looking for. We got any potential ball players yeah. here? 
<laughs> Slam dunk. Let me see your reverse 360. <laughs> what do you mean they jump? You mean they dance? They, they are a people who, as part of their cultural expression, will stand still and then just start jumping high in the air, and they go extremely high. Three, four just women. Start jumping. Three, four, five feet off the ground. <laughs> burr, burr, burr. That's what they do. <laughs> yeah. But you yeah. know, Dan, to illustrate, you just mentioned that we visited Allen, and you may have noticed um, in the islands where I call home in Hawaii, um, there's a cultural way that we engage one another, and that's got its own flavor, and I can't describe it unless you were there. Um, when I'm international in Japan next week, of course, we'll bow and we'll be demure and uh, say some words in Japanese and do those kinds of things. But when I was with Alan, because he's a rough and tumble guy from the Midwest, yeah. Iowa, where he yeah. grew up and living here in Kansas and so forth, I was seeking to engage him with just that good old boy experience and, and we're talking in that level and it, it was very refreshing. Mm. And that becomes, if we're going to be an itinerant, mm. I believe that's one, it's a God-given gift to be able to quickly assess the situation and say, okay, how do I relate to these kind of people yeah. here in a way that is appropriate and authentic and not patronizing? Mm. But it, it is, first of all, it is a gift from God, but it is a responsibility to hone that craft yeah. mm. and to try to do it well. And I hope in the case of Alan that I was authentic and just treating him, but I frankly treated him different than I would someone from another walk of yeah. life. Well, yeah, you were incredibly authentic. He took you for a ride in his Tesla, and you actually screamed I, at I him. I screamed <laughs> like a little stuck pig. I was, man, he punched that thing, and there was a curve coming, and I let him know we didn't slow down before we got to that curve. He literally, when you come back, I'm like, you're not kidding. Like, you really yelled out said something. Oh, yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> stop, <laughs> Alan, stop. I was authentic, and he, well, he did. So God yeah. bless him. He yeah, he's something guy. else. He's oh, funny. Oh, man. He, gets a, he took you for a ride in that thing, too. Oh, yeah. That was the first time I'd been in a Tesla. And you said, man, that's like being on a... It scared me to death. I don't ride roller, co roller coasters. Well, he, so he punched no. you probably, I don't know, five or six times in a row. And I'm like, I'm I'm getting motion sick. I'm about to puke. Uh -huh. It was insane. Uh -huh. Yeah. I never experienced I never felt like, like that. It. That's yeah. right. That was G-forces. Yeah. I'm like, the only yeah. thing He starts laughing. He starts laughing. Great. Water yeah, comes out of his eyes. Of course, he's 83 years old, and he's just having oh. the time of his life. Yeah. Like he set me up for fear when he told me he was a former drag racer or something, and oh, great. Sure enough. I told I said, Stan, when you see him, he gets in that car. He's like an 18-year-old. He's so funny. It's so funny. He just, oh, what a wonderful man. Anyway, that was fun, but... No, this this is really cool. So, could I ask uh, you? You had asked actually a question earlier. We got off on lots of really cool conversations. Can you think of? I know it's off. It's pretty spontaneous. What would be kind of a really unique, one of these kind of amazing stories, Stan, where you were in a trip and something really maybe crazy happened and you saw God's hand open this door or change this thing or you know we we did a little bit of that on our website and we actually want to do more of that capturing stories from yeah. each of us. And again, so they're unique. I don't know if you yeah, have one on top of your head. Give me a little bit of time to think about that, but two are coming to mind as you speak right now, and then yeah. when a third one does, I'll let you know. <laughs> if okay, it does, well, we'll just share one. Brain it's fine with me. I was in Guatemala, and my friend Mario Enriquez picked me up at the airport, and it was raining that morning, and we're going up a mountain too fast, and uh, he took the corner too fast, speaking of just being on that, in that car, and we <laughs> yeah. flipped on the side, <laughs> and we wreck on a, on a busy Guatemala, the very busy Guatemalan highway there and uh, as we come to a stop it's laying and I'm against the road and I got cut I got some some uh, abrasions from the accident and Mario's not a small man and he's the driver's side now is in the air above me and I told him Mario 
whatever you do, do not let go of your seatbelt because if he does, he's falling yeah. straight on me. So that's that's one story. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for some miraculous. No, there's, no, there's no miraculous. An angel came and plucked us out of it. I wish, but I'll keep thinking. There are some somewhere. Um, I can't even think of now what my second story was. So when I get it, I'll get back to you. I'm okay. sorry. Just give me some time. All right. That's all right. I was just wondering. We've, we've, we've all had, you know, Jay's had some of these really unique stories. <laughs> Go to our website, afci.us, and just look at a couple of those stories. Jay's had, yeah, there's been these really cool stories. Yeah. Oh, I, I, this one came to mind. There's an island in Vanuatu, which some might know as New Hebrides. It's kind of down near Aust- north of Australia, Papua New Guinea, that mm. part. It's called Melanesia. And we're on an outer island there where a group of us had gone in the years past and done pastor's training conference. Five years later, I'm back again on that island, and I'm having lunch with an Australian fellow who's there working with me. And we see a local guy standing nearby, and he's just kind of looking at us kind of sheepishly. And he wanders up gently to my table, and he says, Excuse me, are you Stan Hankins? Well, I'm kind of easy to see because I'm the only white guy there except for the Aussie. So, okay. I said, yes, I am. And he says, I'm pastor so-and-so. And you did a pastor's conference here five years ago. And he said, I want you to know, I still use your notes. And I thanked him and I was, I was just floored by that. And it was great encouragement. Well, he left and that's fine. And when we went to pay for our lunch, the lady told us, your lunch has already been paid for. Which is, again, frankly, in the economics of the situation, an extraordinary thing. Generous. Extraordinarily generous. Yes. Yes. Um, I'm thinking about in India, um, where we were in in a remote setting, and there was an elephant terrorizing the area. (laughs) And the, the Indian people are scared of elephants, because if you meet an elephant on the road, you're not going to make it. That elephant will, will track you down, and it'll pick you up and throw you down and stomp on you, and you will not be there. So they take it very seriously. Well, it was coming. It was damaging all of the plants and the buildings and so forth. So we're out at night with a, a fire that we're <laughs> holding in our hands, banging pots, trying to get the elephants to go away. And I'm praying for God to take me away. <laughs> I'm not so sure on that. But uh, we've seen God... God be faithful in the midst of those extreme situations yeah. and give peace. And I, the last one I would say is, and again, I'm just thinking of these off the top of my head. In Thailand, I had to stay in uh, this little facility that was kind of out in the bush. And today in Dan's yard, we saw a snake skin, yeah. a snake skin, an empty snake skin. I, I took pictures. I thought, that's disgusting. I hate he, snakes. He was freaking out over a black rat snake. Oh, there man. are no snakes in the Hawaiian Islands. Okay? And, and, and just to tell you, you freaked out. Sam would have been, oh, that's so See, cool. No, I hate snakes. Sam would have been. And, and no, no, snakes are bad. Read the Bible. And uh, so <laughs> you come to Hawaii, you can go walking out through any jungle anywhere, and, and you're not afraid of a snake. It's not right. going to be there. There's no predator like that, as it were. There are some rabid tourists you got to keep your eyes out for. So what? Rabid tourists. Rabid tourists. I didn't see rabid tourists. Rabid tourists. Rabid tourists. They can be dangerous on occasion. But uh, now where was I? Oh, I mean. Talking about snakes. Snakes. Thailand. Thailand. And I'm scared to death of snakes. And I'm staying in this rustic setting. And it's kind of in the bush with water right next to it and all that. But, you know, I, I prayed and I asked a lot of folks to pray for me. And in that whole week and a half that I was there, God gave me grace to be able to sleep with one eye open. 
all night long. <laughs> I'm telling you because I was I was the, at the the extent of my own comfort level. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was I was pushed up against it. Yeah. Um, because there are snakes there. Because there are snakes there, <laughs> and they can kill you. Yeah. There was a guy the other day in Thailand. True story. He woke up with a, a massive python around his. I read it on the internet. Massive python wrapped around his leg, and he couldn't get it to let loose, so he bit the snake. Well, the snake let go of him. <laughs> so I sent it to my friend from Thailand. I said, "You see why I was scared?" <laughs> oh, so I we found a snake snakes. in your yard today, or the skin, disgusting. Well, we don't have pythons and that's, but they got Kansas. them in Florida. Yeah, they do. They got heaps everywhere. When I was in Florida the other day, they told me, "Oh, there's good snakes and there's bad snakes." I said, "Please don't patronize me that way." <laughs> Well, we've been talking for an hour and a half, so wow. we'll probably have to wrap it up. Do you guys yeah. have anything, any concluding thoughts, anything you would want to say about underneath the umbrella of itinerant preacher, evangelist, that type of ministry? It's a legitimate calling. Yeah. And, and, and then there's a responsibility for the person that has a legitimate calling to think about Scripture, think about local church, think about how this works. It's mm. not, not being a bull in a china shop and mm -hmm. just running over top of everything. Mm -hmm. And um, it's part of the body of Christ. Yep. And uh, we ought to be thinking and looking for evangelists in our midst. Yeah. Young men that we can raise up. Yep. To everything Dan just said, I give a hearty amen, so it doesn't need to be said again. The only other thing I might say in response to that is that the the ministry, the office of itinerant evangelist, is only valid as long as we are true to the gospel of Jesus yes. Christ. There you go. Amen. That's good. That's good. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Preach and Persuade podcast. Again, if you want to learn more about our ministry, you can check out our, our website, afci.us, and read about our, our different ministers and, and what makes us distinct as a ministry, because we are indeed distinct and unique. So do that but thanks again for listening have a great rest of your day bye